This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. In breaking news, leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive, as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet, you can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you. Hello and welcome to Scran, the podcast passionate about the Scottish food and drink scene. I'm your host, Rosend Erskine, and on today's episode, I wanted to explore the world of wild dining. This is an area of the food and drink industry that has seen a steady growth in popularity, particularly since the pandemic. I wanted to hear more about why people are choosing to eat in an outdoor setting and what they can expect from these experiences. Who better to hear about this from than Chef William Hamer, who runs Wild Cabin, which is based in a quirky greenhouse in the stunning Arkenglass estate in Loch Fyne. William has travelled the world mastering the art of cooking by fire. An experienced and talented chef who is an expert in wild cooking, William connects food, fire and nature with an ethos of supporting local businesses and suppliers and sourcing the finest organic and sustainable ingredients. Here's my chat with him. I hope you enjoy. I'm joined by Chef William Hamer of Wild Cabin Kitchen. Hi William, how are you? Very good, how are you? Yeah, fine. So we were supposed to come and see you, but the weather has uh, stopped that. So we're just, we're chatting online now. I'd quite like to sort of find out a bit more about the trend for kind of wild dining in Scotland. But for anyone that doesn't know you or hasn't heard of your business or what you do, could you kind of take us right back to the start and tell us a bit about your your career up until this point? Yeah, yeah, for sure. It's, it's kind of been an, an unobvious chefing career, really. I started many years ago as a kitchen porter, which I think quite a lot of people do. You know, quite a lot of chefs will usually start out washing dishes. And I was in a little countryside pub in England, pub I was working for offered me, it's kind of NBQ. And I thought, you know, that's, that sounds pretty good. Maybe that will allow me to get some, uh, some work when I'm traveling. So I did this, you know, this year's course, you know, not really knowing if I wanted to be a chef or not, but, you know, kind of enjoying it at the same time. And then I started traveling shortly after picking up, you know, these, these old kitchen jobs in, in New Zealand and, um, you know, in other places around Europe, Switzerland and France. And, you know, it was, I was kind of, you know, starting to really enjoy it and having a lot of fun. And, and yeah, it was, yeah, but it was never, it was never this thing that I was, I was going to do forever. It was always something, you know, I'm just a chef now, but we'll see about the future. Um, and it wasn't really until I moved to North Uist in the Outer Hebrides to work at Langish, uh, Langish Lodge, which was an old hunter's lodge and specialises in, in fish and, and game. And it was only there really that I, I think I really started to, to see a career as a chef and I started getting outdoors on my days off and making fires on all these beaches. And I, I don't know if you've, if you've been to North Uist or the Outer Hebrides, but it's, you know, it's pretty vast. There's, there's no one there. I think all those kind of elements kind of inspired me to to keep making fires and and just this love for cooking sprung upon me and I think yeah it was really from that moment onwards it's it kind of developed I I remember the the Hebridean baker messaging me randomly one day saying uh hey William um I was just wondering if you want to uh, join me in the in the BBC on 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 the beach 
you know, for this uh, wild cookout, this wild lunch. And I thought, oh, okay, you know, that's that's pretty that's pretty surprising. Yes, you know, of course, I'll meet you there and we'll we'll have lunch. And and so we met up and, and we cooked. And I think at that moment onwards, the desire for outdoor cooking from more and more people, you know, has progressed. And I was falling in love with it more and more. And you know, that took me to to Glasgow very briefly. Uh, and then one day, you know, I got a message from Charlie, who owns the the cabin company. There's two Nordic cabins just just up the loch there from me and a short conversation later. And we were talking about starting up the Wild Cabin Kitchen, which is, you know, the combination of of kind of the land we're around, you know, these wonderful, you know, Western Western Isle ingredients and a nice bed to, to rest in afterwards. So that's in a... And quite an overview, very, very short story of, of my career so far. So the, the Wild Cabin Kitchen, that's obviously come from people's want to kind of get back to nature and like kind of to, to take you up on what it is that you offer. So why do you think that is? Like, why do you think it's become quite a, a, a sought after thing to do? We've been sitting in restaurants for a long time. You know, we're all so familiar with with this, the restaurant setup, the restaurant scene. You know, you, you go in and you look at the menu and you're tucked up nice and warm and, and you have a, a, a nice meal and, and you know, and you leave and it's very familiar. And I think wild dining has just, especially after COVID, you know, where we were getting out a lot more, maybe into the forest. And if not, we were cooped up and, and really desiring it. And I think we we just want that a different experience now. I think, you know, if you couple dining and nature together, uh, really offers something really, um, really refreshing. I think, and I'm not taking anything away from from restaurants because you know you can have some really marvelous experiences. Um, but I think people are just ready to dine somewhere else and to breathe in the wild whilst they're eating. I think it creates this, you know, this authentic, you know, feeling within oneself when you're eating outdoors. I think, you know, you've, your attention is on so many other natural elements instead of just you know head down looking at your food you know maybe there's a few other people dining around but outdoors you know you've got the sky the mountains the trees you know the weather all playing this part in making kind of authentic experience you've talked about how you traveled around you've traveled around the world you've worked in some Michelin star places and then you've also been up to us so how was that you know you've obviously gone from different types of restaurants and circumstances to now your own thing you're cooking by fire like it seems a bit more sort of like rustic almost but you know what what would you sort of say about all your your different kitchen experiences i use the the Michelin star restaurant experiences as a as a way to you know kind of refine my knowledge you know it's very much a learning process. And I think because I'm here tucked away on Loch Fine, making fires and cooking every day, quite a lot of the time I'm, I'm on my own. You know, I'm, I'm trying to create dishes on my own. I'm, I'm working the fire on my own and, and I'm hosting these experiences on my own most of the time. So you kind of need to get out there and go and join other teams, join other restaurants in order to, to keep learning, learning off others being inspired by other chefs is really really important especially in my career to develop and so yeah they, they are they are very different and I think regardless of the style of food these places offer it's more just being amongst other professionals and talking and discussing new recipes and foods and just and just feeling inspired and I think that's why I, I go to these different places and travel and it's just to to kind of soak as much of the learning process up as possible then I come back and I 
put them by the fire and maybe that's something I've learned at one of the restaurants, I'll say, well, do you reckon you could do use that ingredient on the coals? And sometimes it's it's a straight no and sometimes it's a, oh, you know, that, well, maybe if I add this, this and this. And and so it's just a it's just a matter of learning for me really is, is getting out to these restaurants and, and being part of a team as opposed to being stood over the fire and, you know, being part of a very small team, which we are at the moment. And how, this is, this might seem like a bit of a daft question, how hard is it to cook over fire? Because I feel like people probably look at it and go, that wouldn't be that hard. But actually, it's probably, I would assume it's more difficult than just sticking something in an oven. <laughs> well, it, it, can, it can be difficult, but it can also be, you know, really, really quite simple. If I'm doing cooking demos or demonstrations, then, you know, I'll, I'll do, you know, flatbreads and ember baked onions and, you know, all this kind of stuff that anyone anyone can do, and that's you know that's the point of the of the cooking class. It can be really quite achievable. I think maybe the hardest the hardest part of it is you know managing the heat uh, and maybe understanding a little bit about what wood you're using and and just kind of managing how hot the fire is and when to cook on it and when to to place different types of ingredients at different times. Because maybe for an example, if I have a really hot fire and the planches smoking hot and I and I try and cook carrots for example then the carrots are just going to burn you'll just have a really crunchy burnt carrot whereas if I you know let the fire burn down until it you know kind of a glowing bed of embers and then cook the carrots for longer and slower on the plancher still then you'll start to get that nice caramelization going on and you'll start to get a really nice well cooked well balanced carrot so it is just understanding those kind of base you know those basic rules um, is is the hardest, and then you know, I mean, I, I, you know, I'm always experimenting with the fires, and it can be difficult, and especially in the winter months when when it's a little bit darker, um, you know, and you you're trying to you're trying to cook, you know, six or seven courses, you know, that's also challenging. But yeah, it it, it, it all it all depends. But I think you know, it, it it can you know anyone can can get out there and cook. It's just it's just practice, like anything, really. And I suppose, again, it gets you to get to know your food a bit better as well. Like you say, with carrots, you know, you, you want to cook them at a certain time, a certain temperature, a certain length of time to have to get the best out of it. So you'll be trying things and they're maybe not at their best. So you, you get to know that that particular food quite well because you're trying to see the best way to cook it in a different way. Yeah, yeah. there's so many things and, and dishes that I've imagined one night you know before going to bed and then the next day I try them and and it's just gone completely you know the opposite way that I intended and expected and suddenly that particular ingredient is you know okay well I can't really do that with that ingredient because it's you know it's not working it's not reacted to the fire how I wanted it and I think that can always be the case and that's I think that's the joy of it really is is kind of understanding that certain things don't work it sounds quite obvious but the amount of things you burn to a point where it isn't as desirable you know that char is too charred and it's it's completely just hasn't worked you know it happens a lot so yeah you do get to understand what works what doesn't there's lots of surprises as well you know we've had a lot of people coming in and really excited to try the cauliflowers that we do and we put the cauliflowers straight on the fire and we we cook them for a good hour and it picks up so much flavor so much sweetness and it almost tastes like caramel in, in the part, you know, the you know the core of the cauliflower. So it's, I didn't know that a, a year ago or so, but just through putting these ingredients on the fire and having a look at their reaction, you get to discover all these things. 
if you come from a kind of foodie family or like, you know, I know you said this wasn't really a career path until much later on, but did you have any sort of foodie people in your family that sort of inspired you growing up? Overall, we weren't a foodie family. My dad was very much, you know, meat and two veg growing up. My mum would cook a lot, a lot of fresh food. She was very much into her her healthy foods growing up. So we did eat very well. But I'd say it was my, probably my grandma. We'd cook a, a lot. We'd bake a lot, sorry. We wouldn't cook. We would bake Welsh cakes. And I still stand by that they are the, the best Welsh cakes anyone can ever have. And we just did that every time. So it was, it was if I go into my grand's house, then we're going to bake Welsh cakes. Not that that inspired me to be a chef, but even now, you know, if, when you, when you think back to what maybe inspired you unintentionally or unobviously, then it was it was those moments baking baking Welsh cakes. So you talked about going to US. Was it the, the, the job that took you to US or something else? Because you've obviously stayed in Scotland, I'm assuming, kind of since that point. Absolutely, yeah. It was actually right off the back of, of COVID. And, you know, I, I was actually, you know, cooped up in my mother's house and longing to, to leave. I was discussing a job in, in Edinburgh, at the same time, this North US job came up and I just wanted to kind of prove to myself that I could handle these truly wild spaces. You know, I was doing a lot of wild cooking uh, and I thought, well, if I put myself in a truly wild place such as the Outer Hebrides, you know, and, and thrive out there and enjoy it, then, then you know, I'm, I'm being honest to my, my work. And it came up that I had the decision to, to move to Edinburgh or move to North US and take up this job at Langish. And it was just... It spoke to me and uh, I just knew that I, it was going to be those those vast beaches and the empty, you know, kind of wild landscape. And I could just see it and imagine it a lot more. And I just moved. Yeah, it didn't look back. And yeah, I haven't left Scotland ever since. I was actually very close. It was very close to living there full time if it wasn't for, for here, I think. And do you have a favourite sort of, I mean, obviously this kind of goes without saying, but I'm going to say it, you're obviously, your cooking is very seasonal and very local because just by the nature of what it is you're doing. Do you have a kind of favourite Scottish uh, ingredient that you like, really like working with? Oh, that is a good question. I feel like it's like when anyone asks me, like, what's your favourite restaurant? You're always a bit like, oh God. <laughs> yeah, um, I could probably put it to an experience around an ing- a Scottish ingredient and there was... It was when I was in North Uist uh, and a friend of mine, we, we went hiking uh, along the coastline and we foraged these wild mussels uh, and we took them back, you know, washed them, which can be quite, not challenging, but it can be quite a long process, especially, you know, if you pick quite a few. Uh, and then the next evening we took them we took them back to the beach and we, we cooked them over the fire and just a little bit of butter and, and a bit of parsley, salt and pepper. And for me, that was you know, one of the, the nicest experiences in terms of, you know, using a, a truly authentic ingredient. So I'd say maybe maybe wild mussels. We also used to go fishing for mackerel. And that was another wonderful ingredient that we just, you know, you'd get back from the from the trip and then you'd you'd go off to the beach, have a little fire and, and fry up these mackerel. And again, nothing else, just just a little bit of salt and pepper. And that was it. And we'd eat it, you know, some fresh bread. Again, that was another well, yeah, a wonderful ingredient. I'd say mackerel and wild mussels, you know, foraged properly uh, and fish properly, you know, are my favourites. What can people expect from the experience? And are you continuing on throughout the winter for anyone that's wondering? We will run until the 10th of December is the current plan. And um, we, we might close over January and February and reopening in March. 
Well, this is what you can expect from an experience here. It's very rustic. It's very hidden away, and it's and it's very beautiful. It's it's kind of like going back in time. You know, the estate that we operate on is you know it's a it's a family run, full time lived in estate. So it's as it was, and very little has been done to it over the years. So it's it's a very kind of organic, rustic place anyway. Yeah, it really kind of takes you back in time as you wander around the gardens. And we renovated these old uh, Victorian greenhouses, which just so happened to have a lot of grapevines uh, in one room and a huge fig tree in the other. Um, and, you know, certain times of the summer, there are vast amounts of grapes, which are delicious, and vast amounts of figs that are even more delicious and fig leaves. And so it's it's kind of like stepping into this, you know, hidden Scotland slash you could be at some point in the Mediterranean and at other points, you know, along the Mediterranean coastline. It's it's just, it's an amazing, very authentic place. And I think you start to add the element of open fire cooking and it just creates this kind of unique Scottish experience where you're just, you know, you don't expect to be dining under to grapes and, you know, smelling the, the aromas of fig leaves. Um, so you definitely get that when you come here. And you get fire perceived in a way that's light and citrusy and, and sustainable, I guess. I'm trying to show people that open fire cooking is not all about fatty meats and grilled fats and it's dripping everywhere and there's lots of flames and chips and all this kind of stuff. It's, it's kind of light and... I guess Mediterranean in a way, with all these kind of unique ingredients and showcasing them in a, in a particular way that gives them a lot of voice, like vegetables, like cauliflowers, whereas beef may be the hero of one dish. We're trying to say, well, actually, if you make a cauliflower the hero of this dish or these blue Annalise potatoes, for example, I'm really putting emphasis on that. It's it's Yeah, it's really cool. So you can expect a a whole different um, barbecued experience. And I say barbecue because I think people can relate to that the most. You know, it's it's like, I guess it is just a gigantic barbecue and we're trying to do exciting, vibrant things with it as, as opposed to heavy grilled experiences, if that, make, if that makes sense. <laughs> yeah, that makes sense. And you can stay in the cab cabins or you can leave. Is, is that sort of? Yeah. Yeah. So originally when we, when we started, a lot of our, a lot of our customers were, were coming from the cabins, you know, so it's a 25 minute walk, you know, you book a, a couple of nights in the cabins and then on one of the nights you wander down, you meet myself on the lock shore and then, you know, we wander through the, the gardens and onto the greenhouse uh, for dinner. And, you know, that was, mainly uh you know our, our concept for quite a few months and now we welcome anybody so our supper clubs that we host in the greenhouse you can camp afterwards if you like or you yeah or you can you know drive from from anywhere and park up and, and have the experience now as well so and more and more people are doing that and it's and it's great more and more and more people are finding out where we are we're not so not so hidden anymore which is nice as we sort of head into the last half of this year and into 2024, do you have any future plans that you can share with us? Future plans? Well, we'll we'll keep working here, like I said, up, up until early December. We have a supper club this Saturday, which potentially will be the last. Um, and then we'll keep doing private suppers 
until we close our doors. Um, plans wise, I'm, I'll be off to Finland in January to host uh, a wilderness cooking expedition in the Arctic. So that's, that's going to be very fun. In February, I'm staging at Long Clume in the Lake District, which is a wonderful restaurant. Somewhere I've always wanted to, to go and cook and to go and learn. Yes, um, thankfully, they, they've uh, let, me, let me come. So that's going to be very good. So I'm working there for three weeks and then we'll be back here in March to uh, open our doors again with some fresh ideas. And Kelly and I at your door when it's not raining. <laughs> yeah. yeah, hopefully. Um, yeah, it's, it's always a chance. Um, I've never known a yeah I've never known a place where just brick walls of rain just mm. come, and then suddenly it's it's gorgeous, and then it, you know there it is again. I, I'd love it in a weird way. Are there any challenges of being relatively remote? I suppose maybe not if you've got access to all the food you need in your area like you're not waiting on deliveries or anything so no i mean we you know we do have a few deliveries i have a little organic supplier for you know for your pantry goods etc i mean being so remote we've we've done really well at finding a little community of suppliers so we have kate glasgow who lives up the road and she provides a lot of the the vegetables throughout the year so and that's only 15 minute drive so that's that's pretty good. And I think between the two of us and what we, we can grow here, especially in the summer, if all goes wrong and we're stuck, then we can we can still, you know, we can still put a menu together. And there's always problems with, with deliveries and especially recently with all the rain. I had a lot of landslides. So, yeah, you, you never quite know what's around the corner. And if those moments do come, then we're pretty well connected around here in terms of ingredients. So you can always pretty much host uh well touch we can always host dinners so for anyone although we're heading into winter for anyone that does want to try cooking by fire at home what kind of tips would you give them i mean firstly getting out there and embracing the weather has its rewards i think this time of year actually is is a wonderful time to to go out and cook simply because there's so many wonderful ingredients that pair so well with the fire like Teresa artichokes and pumpkins and squashes. I mean, they're especially if you know if, if you're just starting out, or you're just starting to get interested in fire cooking. Then those types of ingredients are so perfect. You know, you can even roast them before leaving the house. So you could roast a pumpkin, squash it before you go out, uh, coat it in a little bit of polenta flour, put it in a tub, go and make a fire, and you know, put your planter over the fire, and you could fry them up. Uh, and whisk an aioli or if you're feeling a little fancy or you could just coat it with uh, you know olive oil salt and pepper with some fresh sourdough that would also be very nice so in terms in terms of advice i mean it's just you know getting out there packing your bag full of some very simple ingredients don't go crazy i i you know i was definitely the, the culprit of overpacking my bags in in Eurist and taking so many ingredients and then just realizing that all i should be doing is focusing on one or two ingredients seeing their reaction uh, with the fire and then a bit of olive oil and salt, you know, and, and enjoy it that way. There's, there's no better way of enjoying food than just working with simple, simple flavors, simple ingredients and not getting too carried away. I think is, it's always a good start. You know, try something very plain, very simple. And you'll actually find that eating it outdoors when you've cooked it over fire will just elevate it in a way that you, you hardly need 
anything else apart from a handful of things. Nice. Sounds good. Thank you very much, William. It sounds like a really nice experience and um, hopefully one day we'll actually get to see you in person kicking over a fire. (laughs) We'll get there, I think. Well, thank you very much. Yeah, thank you for having me. I love that idea of strolling along the shoreside in the evening, ready to cook over the open fire and enjoy being in nature. It's on my to-do list for sure. Thanks to William for being my guest on this episode and thanks to you too for listening. Please remember to rate, review and subscribe so you never miss an episode of Scran. Scran is a logical podcast that's co-produced and hosted by me, Rosan Derskin, and co-produced, edited and mixed by Kelly Crichton.